Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Welcome back to Twilight Tonic. I want to thank everyone for joining me. And yes, I've been gone for three weeks, but I'm back this October. And I'm back with an awesome guest that I'm really excited about talking to. I can't wait. Justin Decker. He is a cryptozoologist. He studies everything paranormal. And he has teamed up with Grizzly Chris on a podcast called The Paranormal Rabbit Hole Show iTunes, Spotify, all the big ones. You got to check it out, everyone. And Justin also grew up all the way up to nine years old by the Amazon forest. How are you, Justin, tonight? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. Justin, I want to get started because I'm interested in dog man. Mm-hmm. And before we came on here, we started talking about some cases and stuff and how do you feel about dog man? Well, when I look at dog man, I, I do it the way I approach looking at Bigfoot. And that is, what is the, the context of dog man? And what are the evidences of dog man? And if you look, there, there's a long history of dog man or dog man like creatures mm. uh, dating back to early exploration days and, and continuing all the way up into the current day. So without ever having experienced one, I'm a firm believer that there is definitely something to this dogman phenomenon. What it exactly is, I couldn't tell you, but people are definitely experiencing something. Right. And it's so weird. Now, I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio, and in Middletown, mm-hmm. Ohio, there's been a lot of sightings. Sure. Of dogman, yeah. and I think through Indiana as well. They're coming out as as it's becoming more mainstream, uh-huh. more and more people are becoming more comfortable talking about their sightings and their experiences. Yeah. And what we're finding is just like with Bigfoot, these experiences are happening all across the country in areas where we wouldn't even normally expect them to be. And it is, I find it absolutely fascinating. Are they spotting these things in cities now? There have been some reports on the outskirts of cities at night around Mm -hmm. dumpsters and the yards, especially in like newer subdivisions Mm -hmm. on, on, you know, kind of like the outsides of the city limits a little bit. Uh, But yeah, there are new construction sites. I've had several reports of of dogman interfering or just coming around. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, they're they're definitely um, all over the place. Now, do you think these are actual animal creatures or, you know, I hear so much, like I've heard somebody tell me they could be UFO pets. <laughs> I've also, <laughs> I mean, you kind of hear it all, you know, sure. I've heard more like a werewolf type creature. What would you? Mm-hmm. Well, first I say nobody, nobody knows. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. But from, from. What I believe, I think they were actually having multiple entities falling under the blanket of Dogman. I do believe there would be a flesh and blood creature out there based on reports. We've heard reports of multiple animals at a time running in a pack, mm-hmm. uh, different age groups. So juveniles all the way up to elderly um, hunting and, and being injured and all this kind of stuff. So there's definitely a physical flesh and blood aspect or one creature for sure. Right. Um, I, I personally spoke to a gentleman who um, shot and he thinks killed one of these creatures. Hmm. At the same time, we also get the reports of these things materializing and vanishing right in front of a witness mm-hmm. or materializing uh, inside of a home. 
or or having other type of of paranormal you you know um, attributes to them so i i believe there's also either the same creature with multiple attributes or Mm -hmm. other entities that present themselves in the same form of, of an upright canon creature like that do you think they might be dimensional I, I do believe so. Um, the flesh and blood, flesh and blood ones, for sure. Um, same as I believe Bigfoot is kind of a dimensional creature. Now, my mm. definition of dimensional is a little bit different, um, but I believe that they definitely are within that that spectrum of animals or creatures that are able to kind of shift from dimensions. Um, and as far as the other ones, either demonic entities or other form of spiritual entities, uh, those would definitely be part of that realm that can manifest in our physical reality. So, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Do you now have you had reports of them hurting people or do they avoid us? Um, so there have been unsubstantiated reports. Most of the reports are unsubstantiated, obviously where they tend to be more aggressive towards people. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it really seems like they're more out to scare you and traumatize you than to actually cause you physical harm. Because I have heard so many reports where they could have gotten the person. They could have done more damage to a person, but they didn't. That being said, the people that may be getting killed by these things aren't able to tell us the story. So we don't know. (laughs) Well, that's very true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's there's so many close encounters. Right. Where there was no reason for it to be a close encounter. And then, so it does make me question what their motives are. It, it's kind of weird to think about that. Like they might think it's hilarious that we're scared of them. Sure. Or, or some people believe that they might, somehow feed off of the fear energy or the negative energy because if you study anything in the esoteric realm when it comes to different types of entities there's supposedly a lot of entities that feed off of negative energies just like there's ones that feed off positive energies sure yeah but a lot of people are of, of the mindset that these things more feed off of our terror and our fear and so they do things to elevate that wow now, you say you've heard of them manifesting in people's houses. Mm-hmm. Now, that would just be horrifying. Absolutely. I mean, like, think of it just, just as in a regular apparition, you know, a ghost manifesting in a bedroom and standing at the end of the bed. Yeah. But instead of a ghost, it's a giant werewolf creature with glowing red eyes. I mean, that would be just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I mean, Wow. And, (laughs) you know, you hear stories like people leaving out food for Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. What I mean, this is really, really an odd question, but what if you offered Dogman something? (laughs) I know that's really weird, but. Well, I mean, that that would go back to depending on what its true form is, right? That's true. There's a lot of entities out there that you can appease with certain things, you know, the, the. Native Americans, First Nations people believe offerings of tobacco or yes, certain foods absolutely. or different things like that would, would kind of placate the spirits and the entities. And and that's, I think, where the idea of gifting Bigfoot even really came from, was this idea of, of just offering, you know, a peace offering, so to speak. Right. So I think it would be more of finding out what it is you could offer them to placate them more than anything. Yeah. But I don't want to be the one to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the manifesting in my house. <laughs> no, not at all. I think my uh, my parrot would freak out if, <laughs> if a, another dog came into the house. Mm-hmm. Where, now I've also heard stories of them migrating. And I find that interesting. And if they are migrating, are they coming mm-hmm. north and going to the south? Um, if I was to speculate on that, I would think it'd be more like any other apex predator in our type of climate and the way our ecology is. Mm-hmm. I would think they'd be more following food sources yeah, than, than anything else. Um, I don't think it's a, a range migration. Like they're not just 
mostly in the south and they're slowly moving forward like like you know extending the range because a lot of the old reports come from upper michigan you know with the yeah. michigan dogman and wisconsin i think if they do move it's going to be situational whether they're following food or and again it's all conjecture right but if they live mm-hmm. in a pack then then when you study pack mentality and how packs operate um, there are times when people, when certain individuals get kicked out of the pack, whether they're too old or mm-hmm. they get into a fight with an alpha or whatever, and then they have to move to find new territory from there. Right. You know, I personally think that they tend to be more nomadic than anything else, because if you have such an apex predator or a population of predators in a given area, you're going to depopulate the prey. Right. And then same thing with Bigfoot is they have to move frequently enough on a such a rotation pattern where they're they're going to be still have the prey that they need when they come back to an area. Now, Dogman, he walks on two legs. Is this correct? Or does um, the he idea also is they, they can transition. They can transition uh, all fours. OK. Um, some people believe that all fours is actually their more normal, natural way of moving. Mm-hmm. But they are able to also get up on their hind legs and operate that way as well. Um, and some people believe it's vice versa, that they're more often on their back legs and only drop down on all fours if needed for extra speed for running or for getting through thick brush or different things like that. So right. it kind of up in the air, kind of split on what they think is the more natural form for them. I know what the natural form for me would be, would be run. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> something that big i that would make me uncomfortable absolutely now i have heard that a lot of times when there are bigfoot sightings there's also dogman Mm -hmm. sightings Mm -hmm. do you find this to be more frequent than not well i think it more has to do with they they prey on similar animals and they're going to have very similar habitat more than anything because the stories are conflicting. Sometimes you get stories of how they're the Bigfoot and Dogman are at odds with each other. Yeah. Like they're very territorial. They fight each other. They do not get along. And then other times you get stories where they just cohabitate. They don't necessarily like work together, mm-hmm. but they're all in the same area, just kind of cautiously avoiding each other and just staying out of each other's way. I've heard reports both ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of them like working together or, or, or functioning together. And so I, I think they try and keep themselves as separate as possible while understanding they have to overlap territories just sure. because of their, their needs. So moving on to Bigfoot, he's another fascinating sure. creature. Um, oh yeah. I just think he's, I don't know. Like, I just believe he exists. I've never seen one, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, my mom grew up on the St. Lawrence River, basically in New York State, where there are sightings okay. up there. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of UFO sightings up there. And she never saw them. Her relatives would talk about the talking gorilla in the woods. Okay. Which I always thought was fascinating in their French and Native American. So okay. I always thought that was very fascinating. But for some reason, why wouldn't he exist? Sure. Yeah. And everybody's like, where's the skeleton? Well, if it's intelligent and there's not a lot of them, mm-hmm. maybe they just don't want to be found. Look what humans do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, we, I think the skeleton, like that's one of the, the top five, right? Whenever right. somebody's a skeptic. Yes. And to me, that just shows somebody that really doesn't understand nature and how things actually work. That's just like, that's what you're supposed to ask a Bigfooter. Where's the body? How come no skeletons yeah. ever been found? How come there's no clear pictures, right? Those right. are the same same questions we always get. And you, I ask the people, this is my favorite response to any of these questions, is how do you know? Like, what research have you done to qualify that question? Right. And rarely do I get anybody that can say, oh, well, I've never actually looked into it. They're, they're always just like, well, I don't know. I'm just supposed to ask that question. You know, <laughs> wow, yeah, like I, I grew up in the Amazon jungle, mm-hmm. and I can't 
even remember any time where I found the skeleton of any animal, big or small. Now, I know over the years I've, I've found a deer skull in the woods or maybe a bear bone or, you know, things like that. But I spent the majority of my life in the woods at some point or another, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's a rare find to find the skeleton or even just the bones yeah. of any creature. And, and even when you do find them, 90 percent of the time, you can't even identify them. Right. You know, that that's the reality of it. Now, I know you have done a lot of research and you've been out into the woods. What experiences have you had that made you go, oh, wow? Well, so it's interesting because I've never had anything that at the time I was like, oh, that was probably a Bigfoot. Never right. once. <laughs> right. It's always looking back at experiences that I recall mm-hmm. that I go, man, that is actually classic Bigfoot behavior. You know, and then a good a good example of that is when I moved back to the States, I was nine years old, nine and a half. We moved to the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is where my dad's from. So basically went from the rainforest jungle to the frozen tundra. Mm-hmm. And we had land up there and we'd go hunt. And uh, we ended up with 80 acres right up in the heart of the UP where we built a Bible camp, like a summer camp based on how we lived in the jungle. Interesting. And it was also our deer hunting plot and stuff during deer season. So we'd be up there hunting. And there's been times where we would go out hiking at night on the trails that we built because we enjoyed night hiking. Mm-hmm. And we could hear something following us through the woods. And we could identify it. It shattered us, which is a classic Bigfoot behavior. Yeah. You know, uh, there was one time we were up in our camp sitting around a campfire. It was probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night. And about 100 yards away, we had a building, which was our chapel, with a big field, a big clearing behind that. And up behind the chapel, we heard a very loud call. Is the only way I can describe it. My dad chalked it up to like a moose call Hmm. or some kind of very Mm -hmm. loud deer call. But it was a single individual call with no other sounds. And and it's one of those things where what, what really was that? Right. You know, we had our camp raided, our kitchen tent raided. Oh, and really? Dad chalked it up. Yep. Dad would chalk it up because dad was a very practical, pragmatic, you know, if something happened, it's going to be a raccoon. It's going to be a bear. Right. You know, that, that's just that's all there is to it. But we'd have our kitchen tent raided and our big jugs of flour would be taken. Our big jugs of sugar would be taken and they would be completely <laughs> emptied out and then found you know, a hundred yards away off in the woods somewhere. That's really weird that that was sugar. Yeah. Right. But it makes there was sense. No teeth marks. There was, there was no damage to the tub. Right. And so dad's gone, Oh, it's a bear. And I'm going, well, yeah, but a bear would have to carry it with its teeth, which is going to cause scratches or damage, uh-huh. you know? So things like that. So looking back on experiences, I can say, man, that was very interesting. But I cannot pinpoint any, even the times I've been out in the woods, I've gone out on my night hikes up here in the Smoky Mountains. Mm -hmm. I I cannot attribute and say anything that I would pinpoint as being a Bigfoot experience. Now, that being said, I know just behind my campground is the National Park, one of the entrances. Mm -hmm. And one of my research partners, Lloyd, has gone back there on my recommendation. And he went back there with a few gentlemen one night. They were back down on an unused gravel road, like a maintenance road. Uh-huh. It was blocked off from the main entrance with a gate, but they just parked and walked back there. And they started hearing some grunting sounds, which could be anything, right? Yeah. Could be bear, right. could be hog. Um, but then they were they were walking out, and whatever it was paralleled them all the way back out to the main road, hmm. which is not hog behavior, which is not bear behavior. Yeah. He went back out to the same area a couple of weeks later, and he did find a track in one of the the creek beds back there in the gravel. And it was, it was a good, clear, it was gravel. So obviously we couldn't see the specific like toe indentations or anything, um, but it was there and he got a, a great picture of it. And then, you know, there's, up here in the Smoky Mountains, it's all over the place. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. 
and that feeling of being watched. I, I would assume mm-hmm. in the Smokies and in the National Park, well, I know I remember walking through very heavy wooded areas in upstate mm-hmm. New York. You always feel like something could be watching you. Well, you know, I, I before I have a bad heart now, but before it got too bad, I would go on a lot of solo hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would try and go to areas where there weren't a lot of people and you'd be walking and not feeling anything. You should enjoy nature. I, I'm a slow hiker. I I'm out there to enjoy. I'm yeah. not out there to run a race to my destination. You know what I mean? Right. So I'll walk out for, you know, 45 minutes and find a good spot and just sit for half an hour mm-hmm. and just enjoy nature. And there's times where you could just feel, feel that feeling of being watched come over you. Mm-hmm. where it wasn't there a couple minutes before. Yeah. And, and then you could actually feel it go away. And I don't know if just because I was raised with, with like I said, being with situ- situational aware of your surroundings, being in the jungle where you had to be aware all the time or, or what, but you, I can feel when someone, now I'm not, again, I'm not going to say it was a Bigfoot, it was a dog man, I don't know, but there was definitely something. And that's happened multiple times. Right. What is the most, what is the most impactful, the impactful, I can't even talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we're (laughs) (laughs) pre-recording. Which of the stories that you have researched that had a lot of impact on you? Um. Probably the the Osman case, Albert Osman, the uh, prospector of British Canada, mm-hmm. where he was whisked away in the night by a Bigfoot and brought to this kind of a canyon area where he was basically lived with them for three or four days. What? Um, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that, that's a classic story. John Green investigated that one. Uh-huh. Um, it was a family of Sasquatch. It was a older male, older female, younger male, younger female. He believed it to be a family. Um, he was under the impression that he was there to um, woo the young female of the, the clan. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you really get into the story, not just the basics, but the details of the interviews and what he's talked about, you really kind of see that these things are real creatures with a a family life and they, they interact with the world around them and they're just real natural creatures. Yeah. And, and the interactions make sense of how he, how, you know, how he described it and everything. And that was one of the stories to me, just really, really just displays the reality of these creatures as creatures and not just some monster in the, in the dark that's going to get you, you know, they have a life, they have a structure, they have a day-to-day just like we do. Yeah, did did he interact with them in a positive way? Um, yeah, like like the the, the males seem to be more curious with him than anything. Mm-hmm. And and what he had done, so basically the story works out. Something had been messing around in his camp for a couple nights. Mm-hmm. Couldn't figure out what it was. So one night he went to bed, he packed up some food and his gun and all this stuff um into his sleeping bag mm-hmm. and then sometime in that night he was actually picked up and carried to sleep just just like a big burrito like <laughs> with all of his stuff and so he ended up making a little camp with these these sasquatch because when he would try to leave they would catch him he tried to leave a couple different times uh-huh. and they would literally chase him down and grab him and bring him back to their little hollow interesting and and so he would interact with them and do different things and they would watch him and 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 like the story of how he he finally escaped was that the older male was really interested in his snot right his Mm -hmm. his tobacco and finally he devised this plan where he was doing the tobacco and ended up getting the male bigfoot to pretty much take the whole can and and chew it and got sick and so he started throwing up and causes big ruckus and during that ruckus he was able to escape oh oh wow yeah that's absolutely fascinating story huh that oh my goodness mm-hmm. wow <laughs> i i wonder if he would would have stayed longer if he just became part of the family 
Well, again, he feels that that was the intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He feels that they have brought him in to, to mate with the, the young female. Now, obviously, that, that's speculation on, on everybody's part and on his part. Mm-hmm. But he was the one experiencing the reality, all the nuances and and who knows what that looked like to him on that side, you know? Yeah. Not but to mention being frightened. <laughs> yeah, right? Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's a couple of different stories out there that are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one is one of the clearest, the most detailed um, and just the most. I don't know, to me, the most realistic version of, of that kind of event happening. Now, after he did escape, I know he he mm-hmm. probably was frightened the entire time. Does he have a different respect for them, you believe? Oh, this happened in the 1920s. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he never had any experiences again, but he didn't talk about it. I want to say for upwards of 50 years. Wow before he was finally able to to really discuss it. And that's when uh, John Green was able to track him down and get his story and record it. Interesting. I got to find that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is very interesting. I mean, I think I might have heard about it in passing, but I've never heard anyone describe it to me in that detail. Mm-hmm. You know, actually. Oh, there's even mm-hmm. much more detail in the books. Uh, the books are hard to find. Like I said it was John Green, so we're talking seventies, eighties. Yeah. You know, before it became popular culture to even get into Bigfoot, you know. Yeah, I remember uh, John Green was a reporter and so, you know, his his detail and his writing was very clear on it. Yeah. I no, I'm Gen X, so I remember they had um a Bigfoot documentary in the theater when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a big deal back then. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to see all of the films and stuff that they had, and everybody was like, oh, wow, you know? And back then, it was either you believed it or you thought it was just right completely hoax, movie magic kind of a thing. You yeah. Know? Oh, my mom was into all of this stuff. I was raised <laughs> on this stuff. She was really big into Edgar Casey and UFOs okay. for because she had witnessed them. Um, when she was pregnant with me, she had witnessed a sighting and it followed throughout her life. And it was really interesting because she would talk about it, but she also talked about it a day before she died. That's how long she talked about her experiences. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I always found it fascinating. And then when she told me the relatives would talk about the ape that could talk, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I have to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Know? Because well, they were bootleggers up. <laughs> um, from the tribe that I grew up with in the mm. Amazon. Oh, I they bet. They had a legend. They have a, not even a legend. It's a story of a creature that is described as a hairy hominid that comes out at night. Uh-huh. About five foot tall, long arms covered in hair. And if he catches an Indian up, and I, I call them Indians. I know that's not necessarily PC, but that's how I was raised. Right. Um, and if they were found away from the, the safety of the tribe at night, this creature would kill you and drain your blood. Oh. Yeah, it was almost like a vampiric kind of thing. That's not um, a nice cryptid. <laughs> no, not at all. But it was a Bigfoot creature. It was described as a Bigfoot. Obviously not to them. It was a large man-like creature covered in hair. Mm-hmm. Um, during the day, he slept in hollow trees. And he would oh. come out at night. Do you and know what he was, called him? Yes. Um, in the Indian dialect, his name was Nimit. Mimit? Nimit, yeah. Mimit. Um, and the, the, the tribe that I lived with, they were an isolated pre-Stone Age tribe, no written language, um, nothing like that. They were about as primitive as you can get. Interesting. Yeah, and, and that was their story. They had no real contact with the outside world mm-hmm. other than us. And the occasional uh, coqueros or the uh, cocaine growers that had their farms way out in the jungle, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But there was no civilization as, as cultural, like um, a mixing, right? Like some people claim that, oh, they just heard the story from Westerners and blah, blah, blah. Right. There was none of that was even possible. Wow. Uh, my family and the ones that worked with them were basically the only handful of people that interacted with the, this tribe at all. Hmm. 
you know, there's maybe half a dozen people that could speak their language. Wow. Yeah. And so there was no, no chance of that cultural mixing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I bet they were fascinating spiritually as well. They really didn't have any spirituality that we could find. Really? They didn't have a religion. They didn't believe in good spirits or bad spirits or anything like that. Yeah, they were just day-to-day surviving. Now, they had they had what we called witch doctors, mm-hmm. but they were more like medicine men than anything else. They were the ones that you went to if you had a sickness or a snake bite or different things like that. Right. Um, but there was no no real religion that we could find that we understood it as. Not saying they don't have some kind of spiritual beliefs, but um, where the as far along as we were understanding their language and their culture, mm-hmm. by that point there was still no no understanding of any type of deities or religions. Or, or spirit world to them, everything was the real around them, because that's what they had to contend with on the day to day basis, you know. Right. Wow, I bet it would be very difficult to survive in those conditions. Yeah the the average male was, I should say, the average lifespan for a male was about thirty five years old. Yeah. If you got past thirty five, you were considered an elder. And wow. rarely, rarely were you ever 50 or older. I, I can think of two individuals that I knew that were over the, we assume were over the age of 50. Wow. Yep. Very hard life. I was about to say, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, you know, I just cannot imagine living like they live. With, I mean, if you think about it, we're so into our computers, social media, mm-hmm. TV, you know, we know everything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, completely different. It was a complete culture shock for me when I transitioned. Um, oh, I bet. To the States. And it, it was interesting because, like, my parents were American. Uh-huh. And, you know, they were cultured. But this is where we grew up. I grew up playing with Native children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we hunted animals for fun and this is what we did. And we built, you know, shelters and we went fishing and we cooked food and that was our play. What did your parents do for a living? If you don't mind me asking, Justin. So they were um, missionaries. Okay. Uh, my dad, they were called those contact missionaries. Okay. They worked for a mission group called new tribes. Now it's called ethnos 360. And essentially they worked with the native tribes mm-hmm to learn their languages and develop a writing system to be able to translate the Bible into their language. Okay. Um, now, what my dad specifically did, at first he was what was called a contact missionary. What that means is it was his job to explore the jungle and find new uncontacted indigenous tribes. So he was literally a modern-day jungle explorer. Wow. They would hear rumors of tribes from other tribes or from people that have been out in the jungle and like had a sighting. Uh And then they would do their research and then find an area where they thought most likely an uncontacted tribe would be. And then they would go explore it. Wow. Yep. So he did that first. And then from there, um, they he went to a tribe that, that had been contacted, but were still unfriendly. Oh. And that, that's where my memories begin, is working with this tribe. They were called the Maku. Um, and my first house that I can remember was built on stilts out in the middle of the lake. Because oh. that way the Indians couldn't get to us. We were out past the range of their spears and blowguns, and they didn't have canoes to come out there. And so the men, the missionary men, would go ashore and interact with the tribe when they were on shore. They were nomadic. They didn't have buildings or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then they would come back out to the safety of the houses in the water. And that's the first house I remember living in. Wow. Um, and after about 12 years of working with this tribe, not my family, 12 years, but 12 years in total, um, we finally got to the point where they were friendly enough with us that they wouldn't try and kill us. 
Oh my that's goodness. not being that's not being over dramatic. That is just how it was. That's why we lived out on the lake. Because if they got angry, they would kill us. Wow. And the the women and the children, like myself, were not allowed on shore at all when the Indians were around. Oh wow! But eventually, we became good enough friends with them. We, they learned enough of their language where they could communicate. Where um, we wanted to move in closer with them, and so my dad and the other guys in the group, the other guys, there was like four. So it's not, we're not mm-hmm. talking a lot of people. We're talking about just like five or six guys. Um, ask them, where would you like us to move to? And and so they they picked out this old garden that they had had, an old clearing out in the jungle that was close to a river. And so the the women and children, myself, we went back into town and the men went out into the jungle and built an airstrip mm-hmm. out there. And we're talking, they had no tools. They had wheelbarrows that they built out of the, the trees there. They had axes, but no power tools, you know, um, no backhoes, <laughs> no, no, no oh bulldozers. Um, the, the most tools they had were chainsaws and a specially designed winch that they had built for pulling the tree stumps out of the ground. Wow. So they built the airstrip and then alongside the airstrip, they started building houses. And when our house was partially finished, um, that's when my mom went out there and then us children went out there as well. Mm-hmm. And so that was the second house that we lived in out in the jungle. And that was right with him. And that's where I became friends with some of the, the Indian kids. And we would spend all day playing and, and, you know, living that life. And for me, that was normal. That was life. Right. It, it wasn't unusual. It wasn't exotic. It was, that was life. Yeah. Wow. That's very fascinating. Yep. That was some brave people. Yeah. Yeah. My dad is, is one of the most hardcore guys I could ever even imagine. Like they, they tell a story of him out there where they were building the airstrip and he slipped and fell off of a log and broke like three of his ribs. Oh, and they duct taped him up and he spent the next eight weeks out there continuing to work um, before he, he got flown back into the town. And when they had to finally go in and to take the duct tape off his, his body here, it actually started going through the tape. Oh. And he said that was that was more painful than actually breaking in his ribs and working with broken ribs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Poor guy. Yeah. Oh, he must have been miserable. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so now you do all this research on all kinds of cryptids, obviously, mm-hmm. in the paranormal. And I know you've done a lot of research on Bigfoot, mm-hmm. Dogman. There are so many other cryptids out there. You have Mothman. You have other yep. creatures. You have the lizards that are supposed to come up from the sewers. Out mm-hmm. of all of the cryptids, which one to you is the most unusual and frightening cryptid that oh. you don't want to mess with? I would have to say... The lizard people. Oh, yeah. I don't like them either. <laughs> and the reason being Ew. is because we have zero idea of what they could be or, or like, are they extraterrestrial? We don't know. Is it mm-hmm. the shape-shifting type that are, like, supposedly running the governments and, and the royal families and the, the five bloodlines? Like, that's one theory out there. Or are these just another type of creature like Bigfoot, Dogman, Lizardman that live in the swamps and live underground? There's so many different ideas, and they're all terrifying. Yeah, and they have nasty temperaments. <laughs> you, know? you never hear of right. a good story with these guys. Exactly. And so if there was one, I'd have to say absolutely not. That would be the one. Dogman coming in a close second. Yeah, because he's... I I love dogs, but I'm sorry, dog man. Yeah, he's just ornery. Yeah, I'm just not in the mood to be scared. Have something look in my window with glowing eyes. It's just not my thing. (laughs) Because it's it's just a spooky thought. You know, if you're driving on a country road at night and you see one come at you, I mean, oh, my God. Sure. Well, I live in a 26-foot camper in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. Now, I'm in a campground. Yes. It is. It's amazing. 
But at the same time, I'm surrounded by the national forest. Yeah. And and yeah. Appalachia, the Great Smoky Mountains, is one of the dogman hotspots. Yeah. So there's been a few times where I've been like, you know, I'm just going to make sure all my windows are covered up because <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> you know, and I think that is one of the frightening things for me with cryptids is you hear stories of them looking in windows, including Bigfoot. Yeah. They're oh, very yeah. curious. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, mean, I was at a conference a couple of years ago where I was speaking at and a young lady, young lady, a woman came to me afterwards. And started sharing her experiences with me and her photos with me of of Bigfoot entities coming and looking through her windows. Mm-hmm. And she's got pictures of the faces in her windows. I'd freak. And it's like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That To me, that's the most frightening thing. I'm not like, I don't think I'd be as frightened walking during the day and one walked out in front of me or something. I think I'd back up and go, I knew they existed. Right. And I couldn't talk for about 10 minutes because I'd be like, ah, ah, ah. but if mm-hmm. something looks in my window, that just makes me mad. Yeah, that's that's too close. Whether it's a person or a Bigfoot or whatever, yeah. it is, that's, that's a violation. Yeah. You know, like, that, that's your space. That's supposed to be your safe zone. Yeah. And and they're doing that. And I think that's what terrifies people more than anything about that. Oh, yeah. That it frightens is. me. Yeah, it's a violation of your, you're supposed to be your safe place. Yeah. And scary no matter what it is. You know, you hear stories of even skinwalkers doing that. Mm. And they're not my favorite in anything. <laughs> and actually, what? I don't even really like talking about them. I don't even know why I brought them up. They frighten me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the thing with them. And, and I have this discussion with, with lots of people. That name that terminology has been overused today. Sure. Yeah. So many things people are calling skinwalker that have absolutely nothing to do with a skinwalker. Yeah. They seem to be all over the United States now, but well, aren't they? See, a skinwalker is a very specific thing. Right. Right. A skinwalker is a Navajo shaman. Yes. And if you study the, the shamanistic rituals and how it works, they derive their power from their land. Mm-hmm. So they can really only be skinwalkers around their land. The further away they get from the epicenter of their culture and their, their nature and their land, the weaker their powers get. Right. So this idea of, of skinwalkers being seen all across the country yeah. is, is incorrect. Is incorrect. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I think what's happening is the name Skinwalker has become a catch-all. Exactly. You know, I've heard people refer to dogmen as Skinwalkers. Or or, uh, pale crawlers as Skinwalkers. Or anything unusual that they can't pinpoint what it is as a Skinwalker. Just because that name has become a catchy name to call things. It's a buzzword. Yeah, you know, it's the end word. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that does a disservice um, to the researchers and to the community as a whole. For one, it's hard to get accurate reporting yeah. and accurate details of an event if, if they're already naming it. When I'm taking a report from somebody, I try and get them to not give it a name. I want them to tell me what they saw. Mm. You know, so instead of telling me I saw a Bigfoot, no, tell me. Describe it to me. And you'd be surprised how many times somebody will say, oh, I saw this or I saw that. But then when you hear the details of it, you, you, you find out it was actually something a little bit different than what they think it was. And it's really interesting. I think there are things out there that we just don't have a name for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you hear some really scary stories. And when people describe it, it's often like, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely. What, what, I don't know what you saw, you know. Yep. But, and, that, but because of the way humans are, we have to categorize things. We have to have a name right. for something because then we can try and understand it if it has a name. Yeah, that's you know? very true. And I think it makes us feel comfort if it has a name. Well, it goes back to the old idea of 
names are powerful things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you can name something, then you can understand the nature of something. And that gives you um, a sense of power over something. But if you can't even put a name to what it is, you're completely powerless. Yes. And I think that terrifies people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think it terrifies us all. Absolutely. When you do your interviews, Mm -hmm. was there ever a cryptid that someone described you just couldn't figure out what it could possibly be? I wouldn't call it a cryptid, but I have two reports that I've gotten this past year that are just unique. (laughs) Um, One was a lady uh, here in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was doing what she was calling lucid meditation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea being where in meditation, usually you're focusing on yourself and your inner being um, where the lucid meditation she described as more as you're focusing on outside of you and nature and the, the surrounding environment is how she described it to me. Because I never heard that term before. Um, and she said that she was having a session uh, along a river, not directly on the river, but it's about 10 feet away from the river. And during this meditation session, she looked and saw a ginormous toad sitting on the bank of this river. Now, she described it as being like the size of a dinner plate, just absolutely massive. Huh. Right. But then she said, once she noticed it, this creature turned and looked at her. But when the head turned, it was like a human head. And then once it looked at her, she noticed it had like wet stringy hair coming off of it, had the face of a woman. And it looked at her with a look of like, not quite disgust, but kind of like, you saw me, this is ridiculous kind of a look. (laughs) Oh no. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't have seen me. Like what the heck? You're bothering me. And then she said it just disappeared. Now I don't know what that was. <laughs> I Wow. I wouldn't right? even know so, where to begin. So well, I started looking into it some because to me, okay, so you break it down. That is obviously something you're in. Uh, quote unquote enlightened state to see this. Right. Okay? Um, so that puts me in in the realm of what we would call the fae or the fairy folk. Elementals, or maybe. Elemental. Right. Those other ones where you have to be really in tune to the world around you to even experience. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of gives you a starting point to to look at these things. I'm not looking for it in a biological book on on cryptids. I'm looking at it more from folklore and and Mm -hmm. different fairy folk tales and things like that the closest thing and this is something i'm pulling from my memory banks that i can't even find anymore was i remember a drawing in a discussion of of asian or japanese like demon creatures they call them demons they mean different things than what the christian world calls demons right um but i remember the paintings of entities that were frog creatures with human faces with female faces and the long hair i can mm-hmm. remember seeing this this painting somewhere I, I can see it vividly in my mind but i can't track it down anywhere so right now i'm trying to just track down this image so then i can kind of get what's associated with that image yeah and it's weird i think i know what you're talking about okay so yeah i mean it's it's it has to do with the water demons, like the Kappas yes. and stuff like that, but it's not a Kappa, but it's in that, that genre of, of the, the Japanese folklore and their, their entities. Yeah. Um, but I can't find anything on it right now, and it's absolutely infuriating. <laughs> you know, and it's really weird. Did you try some of the tattoo books? Um, I haven't. That is a great idea. Because sometimes they have art that references all of those deities and demons mm-hmm. and things of Japanese because they Absolutely. specialize in them. And I'm wondering if you can't find it there. That is definitely another place I'm going to have to look. Absolutely. Um, I love tattoos. I don't have any tattoos, but I love the art that they do. Yeah. To I've me, it's got, fascinating. 
one, two, three, four, I have five statues currently. And tomorrow I'm going to go get three more. Uh, if I would have been a dancer, <laughs> I, I always tell people, if I wasn't a dancer for 30 years, I'd be covered. Oh, I enjoy my tattoos tell my story or parts of my story. Yeah, they do. And a very good friend of mine, um, she's an amazing artist, has just the past few months picked up tattooing. Oh, wow. As her, her latest art form. Yeah. And she's really good at it. And so she gives them to me for free. So <laughs> that's even better. Well, you can't beat that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, the other story I got was from a gentleman in North Florida. Um, I call them stories because I don't know, it just sounds to me more fun than reports. But sure. Um, he was hiking in North Florida along some very well, well-known trails. Um, he was cautious because, as most people know, Florida is overrun with feral hogs. Yes. And he was coming up on a trail and he'd heard some grunting. And so he wanted to go check it out. So he kind of went off trail and looked, crawled through the, the saw brush there. And he saw a large hog in a waller just hanging out there. And he was looking at it for a few seconds. Then all of a sudden the hog stood up like it smelt him or hurt him. So he kind of froze and watched. And he said the hog completely froze, like not like like an animal that's that's trying to sense its surroundings, not moving. Mm -hmm. But he said it was literally like it froze solid. Uh, and wow. then as he's watching it, you think that's wow. As he's watching it, the legs start absorbing up into its body and the snout and head start kind of pushing back into the body oh. and he he says it becomes basically a blob he described it as like you know the the, the stress balls that are filled with liquid you can see all the liquid moving around in it yeah he said it'd be if one of those was filled with black oil he said that's what it looked like oh God. and so it kind of became this oil bubble floating in the air above the ground. And then it started stretching out long ways, like up to the top and bottom, where before it was oblong, mm -hmm. you know, horizontal to the ground. This was stretching up vertical. And it stretched up and he started seeing um, it kind of taking the shape of a person. The head came out and then shoulders and then the feet came down and it morphed into a person but what was fascinating to me the whole thing was fascinating yeah but the person w became a fully clothed backpacker what with a hat and sunglasses and he described it as a, a camelback one of them the backpacks that has the water bladder in it that you can drink on while you're hiking mm -hmm. and he said it, it morphed into a 20 something male that was dressed for hiking with a water bag on and everything. And then it walked off onto the main trail and walked away. Interesting. And he said he turned around and hightailed it back to his car as fast as he absolutely could. And he has no idea what he saw. He's uh, last time I talked to him, he was trying to contact some of the local indigenous tribes, like the Seminole, um, to check with them about any folklore they might have of shapeshifters in their area or different things like that. That was the route he was going with it. Um, and I have heard other shapeshifter stories. That's the only one I've ever taken personally, you know, firsthand. Right. And I've never heard of them seeing the transition from one creature to another, the full and complete transition. And that's, that, that's one. Yeah. That's one of those ones where you go, what do you do with that? Yeah, like, like oh, gross. <laughs> I would be right? like, out of there. I'd be like, oh, that I shouldn't be seeing this. That, that's exactly what he felt. He's like, I saw something I was never meant to see. And that, that's exactly his feeling on it. That's what creeped him out. That's what freaked him out. He's like, no, he didn't talk about it for a while. And, and you know, it's funny. You know where I find these reports at? Mostly in like outdoor groups hiking groups on facebook oh yeah you know i bet Florida outdoors or, or tennessee hikers and people come on and say y'all i had something crazy happen and i don't i don't even know and yeah. i jump on that i say hey you know what you can talk to me i promise i'm not going to make fun of you 
Um, right. I'm really into this kind of stuff. Maybe I can help you understand. And then they, they come out and they tell you. What do you think? I mean, shapeshifters, I mean, do you think they're just a race of beings that live with us? I think that's a possibility. Kind of like uh, mimics. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think, I think more than likely they are some kind of entity. Where again, I think the true form is what he saw was that that gelatinous blob of nothing that was there, like just almost like an energy ball. Yeah, that is capable of of taking whatever form it so chooses. I think that is more likely what it is. I wouldn't necessarily call it like a race of beings, mm. although I mean, I guess you could call it that with with being accurate on it. Um, I I think there's some type of elemental or energy bearing that just has that capability and their 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 thoughts and their their wants and desires are probably so alien to ours we can't even begin to understand why they do what they do right you know but i'm not opposed to, to the idea of other entities i like to use the word or creatures or beings or intelligences consciousness awarenesses however you want to put it that exists that us as humans don't even understand or accept the, their, their plane of reality because we can only experience our plane of reality. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big believer. And it's funny, right? Because I was raised a conservative Christian. I still am uh, pretty much an Orthodox Christian. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was raised with an understanding of there is so much more to the world than what we know. Oh, right. Yeah, there is so much more in the spiritual realm. And and I've probably taken it farther than my parents ever expected me to. <laughs> but I mean, they, they raised me to be open and to be curious and to not accept anything at face value, even in our faith and our religion. They always told me, but whatever somebody tells you about it, go back to the source and look for the truth. Absolutely. You know, yes. if, if this preacher on TV is telling you this, don't take his word for it. Go back and look at what he's telling you. Go back to the reference. Go back to the Bible. Go back to the source material to understand if they're being true about what they're talking about. And yeah. I've taken that same belief into my study of, of the 14 world and all things strange and unusual. Oh, yeah. And it's an interesting trip, isn't it? It is an absolutely fascinating trip. People always ask me, what do I believe? And I go, I have no idea. Oh, uh, well, gosh. I, I can't tell you what I believe. <laughs> I can only tell you what I've learned, you yeah. know? Absolutely. So you have an event coming up with your fiance in October. Am I correct? We do. Yes, we do. October 13th and 14th in Harlan County, Kentucky, which is her territory. Um, we actually, it's actually a few different events over the weekend. It's on Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. So quite appropriate. Uh, of um, course. We're having a ghost <laughs> tour walk of Lynch, Kentucky, which is a old, uh, coal mining town. The whole area is coal mine territory. And the mayor of the city is actually doing a half mile walk around to historic sites and buildings mm -hmm. and telling the, the history and folklore of those sites. And then one of the things that make ours so unique is we're going to have actors that are going to be there to interact and kind of show some of the stories, interact with the audience, depending on what the local story is attached to that site. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have people awesome. talking about things like Tommy knockers. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and I think this is going to be my favorite one because we're going to have a person. Who's, who's dressed up in his period dress and everything. So they're going to talk about she's the wife of a coal miner that got stuck in the coal mine and he died mm -hmm. in a cave-in. But then the, another person is going to come out as the ghost, as the husband, talking about how they heard the Tommy knockers in the mines and and he didn't believe in all this kind of stuff. And then he died in the cave-in. That's cool. So it's going to be a completely interactive based on the real local legends and lore and real experiences of the townsfolk. So I'm absolutely just so excited about that. 
I think that um, sounds like fun. Yeah, it's going to be so cool. And then, and we have the, the support of the town. That, that's the, the most amazing part of it. My fiance does these events, but her goal isn't to promote a person or promote like a, you know, like a local celebrity or anything. Her goal is right. community involvement, community understanding. She wants the people to remember their cultural history. She yeah. wants the young folks to remember where they come from. And that's why she does these things. I think that's wonderful, actually. Yeah, it's absolutely just awesome. That, that's why I love doing it is, is because that's what it's all about. It's about the community. It's not about look at this person as the speaker or mm -hmm. the local celebrity or the local ghost hunter, you know? Right. Um, the next day, we're having three events um, because they already have an event going on that they call Possum Fest, which is a big local festival they have going on there. Um, but from two to five, we are having a lecture series with four different lecturers. Mm -hmm. uh, myself will be there as a lecturing on Dogman. Uh, Ronald Murphy, a.k.a. the Cryptid Guru. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be there discussing uh, vampire lore. Oh, yep. fun. Yes. Uh, my good friend Matthew Delph is going to be there. He's going to be talking about aliens and UFOs. Oh, I like that. And then my research partner, Lloyd Davis, is going to be there discussing Bigfoot. Oh, that's so cool. And so, yeah, right. We're, and, that, and it's all different things. We're going to have all these discussions. Um, we're going to have some people there with, with merch tables. And uh, one of our, our supporters, Marcella, uh, she's going to be there with some of her. She is a paranormal investigator and she collects haunted items and mm -hmm. cursed items and and keeps them away and out of of arms away and away from the people right. so she's going to bring out some of her items um from there we're going to go to possum fest and have kind of like a meet and greet session mm -hmm. and then everybody can sell their books and all that kind of fun stuff but then we're holding a raffle because that night we're going to have a leaded ghost hunt of the benham theater which is an old cold mining theater which is reportedly haunted so we're going to do a lottery style drawing and have, I think it's like 20 people mm -hmm. and it's going to be led by Matthew Delph and his girlfriend, Jamie Whitaker um, and Marcella. And I think that's it. I think those three are the ones that are going to be leading it for us. And so we're also doing a ghost hunt that night in the haunted theater in Benham. Uh, so it's going to be a packed full weekend of all kinds of just really fun stuff. Yes. Um, and then bringing out the local lore and the local legends at the great time of year, mm -hmm. right? I mean, October is the spooky season, so it's the perfect time to be doing it. And and I'm sorry, Kentucky is pretty in October. <laughs> Absolutely. It's pretty. It's a pretty state. It is. And, and Harlan County is pretty much all hollers and and mm -hmm. it's stuck between Pine County and Black Mountain. And it's just absolutely gorgeous up there. Oh, I wish I so wish I could make that one. That one just sounds <laughs> yeah. like like fun you know yeah and it's fun because it first started off as just a very small event a very small lecture um about three times a year or so a general put together a lecture at like a library or at a restaurant you know just just something simple mm -hmm. um and that's what this started as but it really just gained so much traction and so much attention and then, like, the, the cities wanted to get involved, and the tourist boards are now involved, and they're promoting it on the tourism websites and, and just all this. So it's really grown into a, a bigger event than we definitely thought it was, was going to be for the first time around. Wow. Well, you need to send me information, and you need to post it so I can post it on all my social media sites. Sure, sure. I I every time fun. Jennifer posts something, I put it up, but I'll make sure to tag you in some of them. Oh, yeah. And I think go it back and tag you in them. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I encourage anybody in the area uh, to come out and, and check it out. And it, it's different than most events, mm -hmm. actually, you know? Yeah, because I speak a couple times a year, and they're, they're, they're fun. They're great. They're always these big events. You got, you know, either streets lined with vendors or hallways lined with vendors, and you got hundreds of people there hawking their goods, and then you have, you know, all of the speakers and the big names, and they're a lot of fun. They really are. Um, but what we try and do is more 
one-on-one smaller events. We're not looking to, to do a whole big thing. Right. You know, we will, we're happy with a hundred people showing up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And we think that's great because then we can talk one-on-one. We're not trying to put on a big production. Right. It's all about the information and the sharing of knowledge and experiences. That's why I think it sounds like so much fun. Yeah. I'm like, wow. It's definitely my favorite way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I totally get it. Understand that. Justin, it's been a pleasure having you on Twilight Tonic. Oh, it's been my pleasure to be here. It's been just absolutely wonderful talking with you. Yeah. Please come back on. Hey, absolutely. Anytime. Just let me know. And don't forget to check out my show. Oh, I won't. Encrypted Rabbit Holes. Uh, We do a 10 p.m. Eastern live. Um, I think the best place to check it out is our YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, Grizzly is on the hunt is the YouTube channel because you can get on there, get on the live chat. Um, We're very interactive with our audience. Uh, Post questions. We bring it up. We talk directly to you. Uh, We have all kinds of great guests that come on. And sometimes we don't have any guests and we just hang out and talk. Well, Uh, we have a good time with it. I think it's going to I'm going to check it out. Definitely. It sounds like fun. So yeah, a lot of fun. I'm going to be one of your fans. Please. Absolutely. Come on. We'll have you come on the show. We can talk about, you know, what you do and your experiences. And we just have a good time with it. I would love that. I'd love to talk to you guys. It'd be a lot of fun. Don't forget. Ask your fiance. I'd love to have her on as well. Yep. And folklore. Love folklore. And come back on in a couple months. We'll catch up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually um, starting a new chapter in my life. I'm getting ready to do some traveling. I'm going to go up to Wisconsin, Upper Michigan for mm-hmm. a few weeks, then head to Florida for a while. Awesome. Um, I, I'm hoping I can do some research and checking out some areas while I'm traveling. So I'll have some stories to tell, I hope, next time I come around. Ooh, I love stories. Trust me. <laughs> you have a good night, Justin. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you.